I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. I have just found that a lot of my success has come from the fact of, one, not letting my ego get in front of my intelligence, and two, just approaching things from a collaborative standpoint, because we are so much bigger together than we are apart. Terry Arvisu is a successful executive with Univision, a 6,000-employee company which offers various forms of media focused on the U.S. Hispanic community. As a woman of Cuban heritage, Terry says she's a double minority and has faced biases not only as a woman, but based on being Hispanic. She says that women would be well advised to not only focus on meeting the goals of their companies, but also networking and building human capital. Terry believes as women, we need to appreciate the choices we each make around work and family and support each other and not judge. Be clear on what works for us, commit to the decisions we have made. She says we also need to expect our partners to contribute equally to managing the responsibilities of home and children. Terry says there is more work to do toward achieving equality, and she has used her scope of influence to do good in the world. What a delightful podcast guest Terry Arvisu has been. Enjoy listening. Today, my guest on Leading She is Terry Arvisu. I want to welcome you, Terry, to Leading She. Hi, thank you. <laughs> Great. Glad to have you here. I'm going to introduce you, Terry, and talk about your position, uh, your background and your education and your company, and then uh, accomplished a great deal in your career. And I've synthesized it so you can help me fill in the blanks. How's that? Sure. Great. Terry Arvisu is the Senior Vice President of Social Impact and Sustainability for Univision, where she has been for nearly 19 years and also served at Univision as Vice President of Content and Executive Producer. She is a dynamic, bilingual, bicultural media and communications executive with 25 years of experience in achieving strategic business results and social impact. Prior to Univision, Terry was with Telemundo, a division of NBC Universal, a subsidiary of Comcast, and one of the world's leading media and entertainment companies. She has received numerous awards, including being a 14-time Emmy Award winner, Edward R. Murrow, Lisa Gore, and Studs Terkel recipient. Terry has worked tirelessly to advance the diversity for minorities and women in the industry and in the community. Under her leadership, Univision Chicago became the first Spanish-language television in that market to be awarded the Emmy for the Best Evening Broadcast. In 2021, for the first time ever, Univision achieved the number one rated early and late news, regardless of language, in the Chicago market. She founded a fellowship with DePaul University and the McCormick Foundation to train high school and college Latinos interested in media, and in 2015 launched the first Chicago radio show for bilingual millennials by bilingual millennials. She is the executive producer of three documentaries. Terry is co-founder and chair of Univision Miami and Chicago Women's Leadership Council. She has a bachelor's degree from Florida International University in Journalism and a master's in management and leadership from Nova Southeastern University. She was selected to be a McCormick Tribune Fellow at Northwestern University. So I'm going to talk about your company, uh, a little information about Univision, and then I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, Univision, uh, as the leading Hispanic media company in the U.S., Univision Communications, Inc., with its over 6,000 employees, entertains, informs, and empowers U.S. Hispanics with news, sports, entertainment content across broadcast 
and cable television, audio, and digital platforms. The company's top-rated media portfolio includes the Univision and Unimas broadcast networks, as well as 10 cable networks, including Galavision, TUDN, the number one Spanish-language sports network in the country. Locally, Univision owns or operates 61 television stations in major Hispanic markets across the U.S. The company has Euphoria, including 58 radio stations, as well as a streaming service, Univision Now, the largest Hispanic influencer, and several top-rated apps. As the fastest-growing demographic in the country, U.S. Hispanics are the most powerful consumer growth engine today, reshaping American culture, business, and politics. Univision's goal is simple, to grow as one with our audience and help our partners grow with them too. So Terry, welcome again. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you here. There's a lot here about you and your company. Uh, I wanted to give listeners a feel for your background and your accomplishments in your companies, but talk about any highlights or any any news, your role at uh, Univision. Well, you talk a lot about Chicago. I've taken recently, I took on a new role. Um, I started my career in Miami and then went to Chicago and I was there uh, for, for about eight and a half years. And I just recently moved back to Miami and took on a role with her corporate team um, overseeing social impact and sustainability, which essentially is um, what was CSR, our corporate social responsibility and our diversity, equity and inclusion um, efforts as well as the uh, Univision Foundation. So those three things together combined in the moment that we're living um, really, I think, position us as a company to, to, to approach these issues that are so important, right? That we've seen how they're important to investors, they're important to employees, they're, employees, they're important to consumers, they're important to our partner, our client partners. It really is a very holistic approach, what we're building here. I'm about four months into the position. And, and I would tell you it's, it's 360, right? Um, the idea is to, to really show up in this space in general, like in business, right? Um, with, a, with just a, a very congruent approach to how we do business in a responsible way. Yeah, yeah. Um, give me some examples of what, what you do in your role at Univision. I mean, I understand diversity, equity, and inclusion, social impact, but how does it manifest itself with what your goals and what you're, what you're getting done? Well, I think a, an example is, you know, as we were building it out and building out as a business architecture, for example, it's more and more and more important that we actually track these things. And so being very intentional about the metrics and how we track it. So that's, that's definitely been part of my life for the past couple of months. Um, but as we sort of embark now on this new merger and we roll out the plan for the year, um, we 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 have a content calendar, right? Because content is what we do. Um, but we also look at how are we going to use some of these social impact objectives that we have, which really primarily fall under health equity, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as visibility and advocacy for Latinos. That's like our second pillar. And then upward mobility for Latinos. Because Univision has always been and was born of a mission, um, we always we we those three pillars are sort of i think the way you build a community it's the way univision has always built a community right is one there's a space for you here to watch and celebrate and learn more about your culture um we we promote heavily advocacy as well as civic participation because that we know that that's essential 
for um, that mission of entertaining and informing and empowering our community. Um, but I think there's a lot of opportunity when we also look at these three pillars and we also look inward and we say, okay, how are we doing that for our employees? We know there's a huge mm -hmm. talent deficiency now. So the way we show up for our community um, needs to also be the way we show up for our employees because essentially they are our community. Um, it needs to be the way that we show up for our clients. Clients are looking for solutions for how to come into this community. As you said so well, Hispanics are really going to, I always like to say, regardless of what you are, if you're not invested in the success of Hispanics, then you're not really interested in the United States doing yeah, well, yeah. right? Because we just, the numbers sure. are going to, you know, the future of our country is dependent upon um, Hispanics and, and mix, you know, we're seeing more and more mixing. So it, we would be remiss sure. not to help across the board, regardless yeah. of what color or gender or whatever you are. Um, this is why diversity is important because it's essential to the success of the United States period, you know? Sure. Um, and so the way that that shows up is in how we build out our employee engagement, as well as how do we build out what we put on in terms of content uh, with that intentionality around diversity and then reporting up for our investors as well as for, you know, to, to hold ourselves accountable. Great. Um, you were quoted, I found a 2018 article that said, uh, and this was back when you were in Chicago, says, uh, for 2018, my wish is for businesses to capitalize on the diversity that exists within Chicago. The quicker we replace competition, ego, or fear with the ideas of collaboration and partnership, we can unite in a shared vision to strengthen our city, each other, and in turn ourselves. So I thought that was interesting. It sounds like some things were going on there. What uh, is there a story there or you want to talk about that? Sure. I mean, I think it goes to the heart of even though I was running newsrooms um, and running content, um, you know, Chicago is often termed one of the most segregated cities in the United States. And, um, you know, there's no surprise, right, that, that, although I have to tell you, and I want to give credit to the people in Chicago, because I also found that there was this inclusiveness as well right and there was this understanding I, I love that in chicago people take care of each other i always say and it's where i think it formed my vision of social responsibility i learned it in chicago so it's so ironic because the most segregated city as it's coined is also the place where social work was created and where you feel that people take care of each other at least that was my experience um mm -hmm. what I think my, my, my statement is one in that, um, and it's not just Chicago, right? It's in general. We spend a lot of time sure. talking about our differences when essentially, I think it's like 99.9 or 99.5% of all of our DNA, regardless of what your gender, what your color, anything is, um, is exactly the same. It's what makes us human. And yet we've fixated somehow on that other very small percentage to define us, right? And so um, I've just found that a lot of my success has come from the fact of one, not letting my ego get in front of my intelligence and two, just approaching things from a collaborative standpoint because we are so much bigger together than we are apart. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Yeah, wow, it's really good. 
Um, uh, yeah, you um, you have a Cuban uh, heritage, Hispanic heritage. Your grandparents and uh, parents uh, are Cuban exiles. Um, I just uh, would love to know, you know, what what do you think is important uh, about Hispanic American experience in our country? What do you think? the listeners need to understand perhaps they don't come from a Cuban heritage. What, what do you think are the most important things to understand about the Hispanic community? I think we often treat them a Hispanic community as a monolith. And I think as we become more um, aware of the power of Hispanics within this country, there is, you know, we, ha- we, we, it's different because we are different races, we're nationalities. We embrace every single one of the identities from religion to color to socioeconomic status, which all define our point of view. So it is complex. And I, I sometimes, I kind of feel bad for people trying to figure us out because it's complex. <laughs> what the cool thing is, is, because I think, and this is not just a self-serving pitch, I really do believe this, is Univision having served this community for so long is the place to honestly say, help become my partner, help guide me through this, because there are so many nuances that I, I just sometimes put myself in the role of other people. And I think, my gosh, like first of all, congratulations and thank you for caring, right? Because it seems so complex, it would be overwhelming to me to try to understand Hispanic America, but, you know, like I said before, it's essential to us, to the success of this country, right? Um, that other, that people outside or non-Latinos, let's just say, understand the Hispanic experience. Um, you know, I think there's, I've always been very proud of my heritage. Um, even though I was the one born here, my parents came as children, so the language spoken at home with my parents was English. So I'm almost like a second generation, but I will tell you Mm -hmm. that I derive so much purpose in my life from the story of my, my family. And I don't know if it's the journalist in me who always loves stories. Um, but I always did, even as a kid, it was like, tell me the story of this and tell me the story of when you got here and tell me when you came here. You know, like, I, I love that. I also covered for many years, um, before going to Chicago, I was, um, the, the, the second in charge in the newsroom here in Miami. And, covered latin america you know because our backyard is also latin america here in miami right sure. mm-hmm. um and covered the 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 instability in latin america for so long that i think that between my family's experience and what i covered in news it gave me really a profound um appreciation for the for how fragile democracy can be mm-hmm. and so um i think a lot of Hispanics understand that because we 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 don't let those stories go in our family. They're told over right. and over again. We're on third generation now. My kids can talk to you about what the experience that when my grandparents came from Cuba, what was like, right? Um, that was important mm-hmm. to us as Cubans. And I think it's important in general. Family is so important for Latinos. Um, even the way we make decisions sometimes feels very different than um than a man than than non-Latinos. And I don't want to generalize or anything like that because i think there's a lot of ethnic groups that mimic us in this sense but like that hierarchy of family and you know i always say my grandmother was the original influencer right because what she Mm -hmm. said was literally the bible (laughs) um you know which i always say like consumer uh, the clients should be talking to her if they want me to 
spend my money because she'll call me and tell me where to do that. <laughs> Talk about your family, your mom, your dad, your siblings, your heritage, what they did in their careers. Um, talk about talk about your family. Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I think this comes up a lot. And I, I, I thank you for asking this question, because when we were prepping, we talked a little bit about how a lot of times because of the assumptions that people have that most Latinos are uneducated or first in in their careers to go to college, which, by the way, I have more respect for those who do that, who are the first to go to college than for myself, because as I kind of told you, like going against the grain in my family would have been it would have been so much more difficult to be the dropout or to not have like tried to be successful because the norm in our family um i'm fourth generation college graduate um my parents both have graduate degrees um you know they set the bar really high and i had to you know i had to, there's always this this assumption in our family that you take it a step further and it's like well can you set the bar a little lower <laughs> <laughs> next time the expectation my, yeah. my son will be president you know like next um <laughs> the expectations like, my daughter, were pretty high actually, i should yeah. say my daughter or my son might be president next after this but um we set the bar high um my my my, my grandfather was a civil engineer um and mm. my mother and my father um my father studied architecture at virginia tech um, eventually came back to Miami in the 80s where inflation rates were super high and ended up going into the fire department as well as still being an architect. <laughs> so people used to say he used to <laughs> put the fire out and then tell the Gilmas card so that they could he could build the house, right? <laughs> um, my mom spent most of her time um, as an executive in hospitals or in uh, or, or like in healthcare. She eventually ended up in pharmace pharmaceutical rep and then um, worked for the mayor of Miami as a senior advisor. Um, and then I really, a lot of my work ethic, um, and just my overall vi vision of how I have to give back in the world comes from my, my, my great aunt who, um, was also my godmother and who was the first Latina mm. to be a CEO of a hospital in Florida in the eighties. Mm. Um, a brilliant woman who wanted to be a nun and was not allowed by her family to become a nun. So she went in to study chemistry. She was very smart. Then went and got her MBA and then ran um, a hospital here in Florida. And I witnessed, you know, I spent a lot of time with her. I used to go to her house every day after school when my parents were working. Mm. And what I saw was a woman who used every, her scope of influence to do good in the world. There was never a person that came to her that she ever turned away. She'd pick up the phone and, you know, people wanted to talk to her because she was the CEO of a hospital, right? So it was like, she'd pick up the phone and be like, hey, so-and-so needs this. Can you help me out here? And so um, I think I see that a lot in my mother who also lived that example and in myself. Um, it's why I do what I do. And I feel like with mm -hmm. great power comes great responsibility. And she was proof of, of, of how to do that right. Yeah. Wow. You, I mean, it's an incredible legacy. Um, and uh, you had mentioned that uh, you were, you went to an interview one time and you were talking about the, you know, the expectations of your parents and how it, it can be assumed that uh, if you're of Cuban heritage, that, you know, somehow your parents were not, you know, educated or professional, right? So there was an assumption made and you, you sort of set them straight. Tell that story. <laughs> well, I think the assumption comes more if you're outside of Miami towards Latinos in general being uneducated. So I actually love the fact that I can 
challenge an assumption and make somebody think twice about all my people, right? Like I don't see myself mm -hmm. as only Cuban after having served this community for so long. For me, it's an opportunity to elevate Latinos in general. Um, and so the, the, it, the story actually went where this, where I was being interviewed and it was a white Caucasian woman and she, um, made the assumption she's like so you're first in your in your family to go to college and i said no actually i'm not i'm fourth and she's like wait what and i was like yeah and then she was super embarrassed and you know and like mm -hmm. i'm not one to come back you know with at the defense on these things like i recognize that what has been portrayed of certain groups in our community in our in our in the world right because it doesn't just it's not just limited to latinos has sort of mm -hmm. skewed reality right? And created these stereotypes. And so I said to her, actually, no, it's okay. I'm actually glad that you asked that because it allows me to sort of ask you, what other assumptions are you making about other people based upon maybe stereotypes or just not having that um, exposure, right? And so I think exposure is so key. Um, and I, she didn't have it. And that's okay. Because you know what, there's a lot of things I'm not exposed to, I haven't been exposed to and that I'm ignorant about. So anyhow, it was just an opportunity to to just, you know, I think she she was super open and I was not defensive about it at all. And she just said she, she was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so, so sorry. I was like, no, 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 it's OK. This is a teachable moment. Right. Which is where I. Yes. How I approach diversity and, and the issues we talk about today with, you know, anybody who doesn't know about Latinos. And I apply that to mm -hmm. myself regarding communities mm -hmm. I don't know about. Right. Right. Well, you know, we talked about this. You're a double minority. You're a, a woman of Cuban heritage and you're and you're a woman. Right. So um, but but good for you to speak up. That's what we talk about in this podcast, you know, speaking up, you know, uh, that that you could have let that go. But there was an opportunity to educate her and she was embarrassed and she probably still remembers the story, you know, that there was a bias there and you set her straight. And you know, like you say, it wasn't in in Miami, but, uh, it was a chance for you to, to, to clear it and, uh, and, and good for you. Um, you were promoted to executive director when you were in Chicago and you were five months pregnant. And we talked about being ambitious. I've always considered myself pretty ambitious and, and yet you've said about your, your culture saying that you're an ambitious, um, female as a woman, wife, mother, maybe is not always considered a positive thing. Uh, talk about that. Talk about ambition and, and, uh, and that. So, um, so it was, it was actually in Miami that they, okay. when they, when I was oh. pregnant and they, okay. um, and it was a man actually, who was the one who, who promoted me. I was pregnant. I was like, wait, are you sure? Like I'm pregnant. Like, <laughs> I mean, and he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like it's fine, whatever. And so I was like, okay. Um, and so I was promoted to executive producer and, um, and I thought that that when, when I recorded that video, um, you know, which was all about being an authentic leader and about being almost like a, a perfectly mm -hmm. imperfect mom, um, and being okay with that because, you know, our, I guess somewhere in, in, in my, despite coming come from a family of a lot of professional women, for whatever reason, the expectations of what a, the role of women, I still battle that. And I know that. Yeah, um, and so yeah. I had to overcome that sense of 
disappointment in myself that I wasn't doing things great. I didn't feel that I was doing things perfect at work. And I was always a type A personality, had kids at 30 and had been working since I was 16. So imagine I had compared to before where I just didn't have anybody else that competed with my time or my attention. I was right. feeling like yeah. I was failing there. And then felt like in the same way, I was felt a little disappointed that you know, I was not the woman who was like, oh my God, I love being a slave to this child, <laughs> right? Like it wasn't like, oh, I don't want it. So when, um, you know, my maternity leave was over, um, I I actually was like, I, literally I was, I think at eight weeks calling my boss and I'm like, I want to go back. <laughs> and, and, and because I felt like, oh my God, this is so, like, don't get me wrong, it's important stuff, but it was like so boring. It was like the same thing over and over again. I had a really fun job, like, where every day was different and every day was exciting. And this was yeah. just a little bit mundane for me, you know? Um, and so I, I remember my, my dad was very essential, actually, in, in making me sort of level set on that and just like rethink that. And he said to me something, and I'll be very, concise about it but he said something to okay. me like you know god god sends you here for a reason and with a purpose and mm. you basically can't apologize for the way god has made you um and in fact there may be something even bigger besides just these kids that you're supposed to accomplish in the world and so mm. um that i had a sort of a reckoning with god and was like all right god you made yeah. me this way and there's something because you keep opening doors for me, like for me to keep on coming back to this world, right? Of television, of broadcasting, of, of, of serving, you know, of having a social impact, right? Like that was just a, always part of even our news vision and whatever. And I said, so please, the only thing I ask you for is please don't let me get to my deathbed and be super like guilty with my kids that I wasn't like the greatest homeroom mother or like love yeah. bake the bake sale. Like I just, that's not who I am. And I just was too tired to fight that those assumptions anymore. And I found myself letting it go. And people who know me know that I'm very open about, you know, these expectations and yeah, I'm not like that. And you can judge me and yeah. I feel no shame. I don't feel shame. Yeah, you shouldn't. And, um, you know, I had my kids in the 80s and early 90s. And, um, you know, there was even, you know, back then, it was like the women who stayed home, you know, you know, weren't regarded as hardworking. And the women who worked weren't were regarded as not taking good care of their kids. Somebody else was raising their kids. Not true. Uh, but you it's interesting as you know, from the Cuban heritage, it's like, okay, don't be ambitious and, and, you know, maybe even feel guilt about this. But you had some really good role models in your mother and your aunt. I did. And so, I don't think that they told me not to be ambitious somewhere in the, you know, this is those things you get as kids. Like there was always a little hmm. bit of like a poly being the word ambitious for me is not as positive as other people, you know, and I, and I found in speaking to other Latinas that, you know, it's it, that that wasn't something it isn't that they told you not to do these things because again, I had role models, but it was more these cues that we get. Like, I think Beyonce said it well, like, yeah, I'm bossy, right? Like, you know, uh, th those are those cues you get where like, oh, she's so bossy. And it's like, actually she's assertive. Right. But as a girl, you often, and in Latino families, because there is more of a culture of machismo that permeates no matter how much we progress, right. That those things get said in front of our children 
and they right. you and you learn and you're like, well, maybe I just have to be really hardworking and not be outwardly ambitious because that's sort of like a too self-serving and that's not good. Right. And again, I don't want to mm-hmm. speak for all Latinas because that I, I hate generalizing, but at least that was my experience and some of what I heard from other women within the mm-hmm. Women's Leadership Council who felt that there was mm-hmm. a cultural difference in that. Right. And machismo is sort of the male, sort of the testosterone kind of energy, right? Yeah, it's like a male dominated, which is, and okay. I have to tell you, for anybody who knows Latinos, it is totally not male dominated. Your grandmother, and it's a, <laughs> it's a total matriarchal society inside the, the doors, yeah. but outside yeah. those, the doors of your home, it is, it is seen as, you know, machista. But in reality, I have found that women, Latina women tend to be very, very, very strong. And mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, you know, we don't, we sort of fake it. <laughs> the machismo. Yeah. Um, I think the yeah. men feel that way, but the women know who's really in charge. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, let's let's kind of shift to uh, some um, one of your uh, part of your minority, and that is women, which I'm I'm part of this, and uh, kind of shift uh, to gender uh, experience and being being so successful as you are. Some of the things that we talk about in this podcast. Um, we talked about internal and external struggles women have, and um, it's not only the biases and discrimination and the unfairness we see outside ourselves, but it, it's also inside. And uh, you said you had a conversation with someone, you were talking about what if it was perfectly equal, uh, that we rose to a day, we came to a day where men and women were equal you know, in the world externally, uh, then what? You know, so. I guess the question is, what would you say about internal versus external struggles women have in uh, and what, you know, what you've experienced? Yeah, I mean, I always look at whenever, um, before criticizing, or even when I see somebody, even when my own employees, like, okay, they're not, they're, you know, they're not performing or whatever. I always, before I point a finger, I always say there's three fingers pointing back at me. So it's like, first, what do I have to do? Or what do I have to do subsequently, right, to make sure so that is where, like, to make sure that 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 I'm also not blind to my own blind spots, right? I mean, sorry for the redundancy, but um, mm-hmm. and so the conversation on what you allude to was a conversation we asked. I asked the head of HR one day who had come to Chicago to visit as part of a panel from the WLC, and I know that. Look, I think it's, I love the fact that you decided that this podcast was going to be about internal and external bias, because I think we can't decide that it is one or the other. It is really a matter of both, right? And we have work to do in both respects. From an external perspective, um, we need to, the world needs to catch up, which is what I asked this woman. I said, okay, let's say the world wakes up one day. And now, you know, every women and man have, you know, vision of leadership is, you know, is both male and female, right? Whatever. And yeah. um, mm-hmm. all things equal or whatever. What do we as women have to look inward and fix to that might be working against us? Like, the, what is the stuff we control, in other words, right? Yes. And so she right. said to me, and this was also geared, it was geared as Latina, it was a Latina, but a Latina who answered it and she 
I asked the question about Latinas in general. And she, you know, Latinos have an incredible work ethic, right? Hard work is super celebrated in our homes. Um, you know, if you win the award for the hardest working person, that is like the best, right? And we all know that we, that the world doesn't always, we got to learn how to work smart, right? Because resources are finite, time is finite, whatever. And so she said to me, she said, the one thing I think we're doing to ourselves, which is wrong, is that we're high, we're working so hard and we're finding so much identity in that, that we, that we think somebody else is going to notice. And so, and, and, and you have to go out there and you have to network and you have to give some time to that. And I know that that's something that Latinas will struggle with, especially the networking, because after I worked with my nine to five job, well, shouldn't I go home and cook dinner? Or shouldn't I be home with the kids? And I, and I have found in working with the Women's Leadership Council that that's something that has held us back, right? We don't, we need to learn how to network um, in other ways, in different ways, perhaps. Um, but that's just as important. And so what I derived from the comment that this woman made was, you need both results capital, you need to know how to drive results and have a vision and get the work done. And you need to have human capital because we get the jobs when we're not sitting in the room. And so right. the networking is just as much a part of our success as the hard work is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I had the experience of uh, being a young professional uh, mom and, um, you know, just thought that uh, if I if I worked hard, put my head down and just grinded through work and I did good work, I would be recognized and promoted. And I found out later that the 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 men that were my associates, my contemporaries were not were not always doing that. They were playing golf, they were going out for a drink after work. They were um, getting um, developing relationships within the company outside the company with their bosses and all of that is really important i think a lot of women miss that don't you think i do and i also think that you know as i hear you talking i also want to take advantage that i think other women we also oftentimes judge each other yes. for those let's say there's the that. one who gets the memo and doesn't go home after whatever, and doesn't go home right. for dinner or goes and has a drink or goes to the golf or whatever, and it's taking time away from the family, I think we're judged harsher. And some of that judgment comes from the women ourselves. And so, mm -hmm. you know, in the same respect that I champion and I applaud women who, like me, who wanted to go back to work and left, you know, wanted to do the maternity, I made that choice, right? I wanted to not stay four months. I wanted to go back. Um, right. I also am very, very cautious about us judging women who have decided that they want to stay home. In fact, I'm going to tell you, I will stay at work long. I mean, I remember when these kids were like, I have two kids, they're 22 months apart. And I was like, and everybody, and a lot of the women that worked with me, I'm like, I don't know where that myth is that women who work, who have kids are distracted because I had to force them out the door because they knew that the real job was the one when they got home. They'd rather stay at work. Right. We were like, Listen, compared to what I have to deal with on the weekend and at home, work as crazy as it is, is a vacation compared yes. to that craziness. Yeah. So, yeah, and I've seen my care. daughter do this yeah, and with so my, my grandsons. My hat's off, honestly, to the women 
who have decided that that's what they want to be and they want to stay home, great. You be you. I respect that. I admire it. But you also let me be me, right? Right. Let's support each other, right? I mean, let's not judge each other and be each other's worst enemies. Let's collaborate and, and respect each other's choices that we've made because there's so much out there to make us feel guilty for doing this, that, or not doing this or that. I mean, just let let us choose what we want to do, where we're happy. And, and it sounds like you were like me. I would not have been happy uh, home with my kids all the time. Um, I would have made a job out of it, but I can tell you I wouldn't have been fulfilled. And I don't think my kids would have been as happy because I wouldn't have been as happy. And then you pick it up in other ways. Like, look, um, you know, I... We, the, the, the community we were a part of in Chicago was awesome. It was a lot of working families, but there was also some moms who, you know, they stayed and they were part of, they were, they would stay. And those were the ones that did like, you know, the homeroom mom or whatever. And like, they would tell me, your job is so hard. Don't worry. I'll remind you when things happen. They'll be like, no uniform tomorrow. And then I'd be like, no, your job is so much harder. And then, you know what, on the weekends, when those moms, if they needed me, to stay with, I'd be like, just drop off the 10 kids. I don't care on the weekend. I will help you out, whatever. Because, you know, it takes a village, right? We made it right. work in that respect. I owned my imperfection, for that's to say. Like, I, was pr- I wasn't I was just owning it. I'm proud of it. <laughs> like, you know, I yeah. am who I am. Yeah. <laughs> and you be who you are. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know, um, another thing we talked about, and I think this is this is an important topic. When I was a young professional and a mom, um, this was in my you know late twenties, early thirties. I worked really hard not to have my bosses see the challenges I had as a working mom. I wanted to believe them to believe that I had it all together, that there wasn't any difference in me or the guy that I might be competing with for a promotion. I was up to any challenge, promotion, responsibility. And you talk about in one of the interviews, I, I noticed uh, that women need to be honest with their about their challenges today, that we need to talk about this and have, have our bosses, our companies understand them. Yeah, I mean, I think we have a lot of work still to do in that respect. When I mentioned that in that video, what I was referring to was how we judge each other, how we make it harder. But mm-hmm. if I would be lying to you if I told you that I didn't do the same thing as you. You know, I remember telling, I had yeah. amazing bosses. I had men that were like, they, you know, they cut out for the bas- baseball game. And, you know, and and I was like, they're like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I got you. No problem, whatever. But when it came to my things, I always like, as supportive as they were, they're like, go if you have to. And I'm like, no, 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 no. My kids are my problem. They're not your problem. Because at least that's the cues that I got. Now, I right. think that we are, that may have been how I operated, but I think we're at a moment now where we don't want to lose any more women in the workforce. We know that women are the ones who are making the decisions at home. And I think work in some ways just has to change. It's so funny that this weekend we went to Disney World and we were in that process. I think I told you about this, the wheel of progress, which is like, there's never a wait. So I always liked it because when my feet, you know, like be hurt, you go sit in the wheel of progress and it's going (laughs) around and it's like this super old exhibit there in Disney World. And they're talking about, it's a guy like in the 50s, like now there's some, there's something called a commute. And I'm like, oh my God, this was like just 70, you know, like 70 years ago that we, one generation has been commuting and yet we're still struggling 
with this whole, some companies more than others, right? And pe some people, some bosses more than others, like, what's the big deal? Why do we have to commute? Like, this pandemic has been great. And I've actually worked, I think, harder than I ever had before, because now yeah, all my home. decisions, yeah. like the fact that I don't have to put on makeup today, or even care if I wore the same thing, you know, two days ago, is one less decision where I deposit all my energy in building out yeah. what I'm building out. So it's, it's actually fantastic. And like that, I don't have to yeah. wait an hour in the car. Yeah. Like I get yeah. up and I sit here earlier than I ever was at the office. Right. Yeah. We almost have to set boundaries around how much we work, I think, from home. Don't you? I think that's the challenge. That's actually the challenge is um, right. anyone worried about our staff not working as hard is, 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 is not reading the room correctly. It's actually helping them figure out how do you stop, right? Because so many of us. You know, I used to sometimes take a break for dinner to be with my family and then just go back to work because I mm -hmm. live, I now lived in the office, right? <laughs> I, that was yeah, I think that's why so many women have left the workforce is because home and work are blended so much that we just, there's no stopping. Uh, you're, at, you're at home, the kids are, you know, uh, doing school on, online, you're working, you go, you know, dinner, you go back to work. And I think some women have just burned out because of it. Not that I don't agree with being able to work from home, but I just think that that's kind of the silent loss of a lot of women in the workforce is because of this. Yeah, I, I do. And I also want to say that I think women who have had very young kids have had it much harder. Like my kids went back to school pretty early. Mm -hmm. um, they And it was great. I mean, those months where I had them and they were doing school, they were of age where I did not have to. And thank God, because I was running a newsroom in the middle of a pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. And in the middle of, of, you know, the violence that we saw in 2020 in the city of Chicago was at the footsteps of our building. So oh, yes. I honestly did not have the bandwidth and my husband worked at a hospital. So, and he would go into the hospital every single day. So my kids were very independent and they did not, uh, I did not have to do that. Now I have friends who had six-year-old kids who couldn't do their own online work. And my heart really got, went out to them as well as, I think the other group of people that I managed, which were the hardest, were also people who were alone at home. Um, they had it harder mm. than I did. Yeah, sure. we had a fellow, uh, and when I was working, uh, we had a fellow that was young, single man, and he was by himself in his apartment all the time. And, uh, you know, it can affect young, single people. Uh, didn't realize it at the time. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, I've got one more question for you as we wrap this up. Um, what advice would you give to a young woman coming out of college, ready to get married and planning to have a family? Uh, she wants a career and have children. Uh, what would you say to her? What kind of advice would you would you give to her? Um, you know, I think that priorities ebb and flow, right? Um, I think mm -hmm. that I think we need to redefine what having it all really means. I don't know that it's the exact whole of two things but rather the 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 peace of mind right of of being a little bit of one thing and a little bit of another thing and a little bit of another thing right like i i don't know that it's i think that has to mesh together to the extent in yeah. which you decide that it's what the priority you know is i i and then once you make that decision 
I think you live with it. Like I made a decision to leave most of my family, which as a Latina, that's very difficult to do at 35 with two kids, leave to Chicago. Mm. And, yeah. but, but I did it because I wanted growth and professional growth. And I wanted to experience another family dynamic. What I didn't do as a result of that decision was cry in the corner every weekend because I wasn't at my cousin's party. Right. And I yeah. think you have yeah. to just force things into an order and decide that and then own that decision um, so that you're, you're happy. It's like, I chose this and this is what I want. And it came with certain benefits and other concessions and, you know, and whatever that is, nobody else can fit, can decide that for you. You have to decide that for yourself, right? What sits well with you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, uh, it's like, you know, can you have it all? Um, I, I agree with what you say. I mean, sometimes career comes first, sometimes family comes first and uh you have to have a good partner it sounds like you do um i i think i read somewhere where your husband's been bringing coffee to you in bed for 18 years something like that <laughs> not 20 we've been, that? we've been married for 20 years well i train the kids to do it now <laughs> oh okay the, the kids are doing any delegated <laughs> yeah, that's the, the other coffee, advice uh, for young mothers is you know what train the people around you to be very independent that yes. that makes a huge difference and you're right your spouse is super important like i would have done i wouldn't have anything of what i have if it wasn't for the partnership that i've had with him he's been an equal um yeah. he's cuban-american yeah. just like me and mm -hmm. you know i sometimes have more faith in him as a dad than i do with myself as a mother and i remember telling him that when my son was born i was like don't ask me i don't know mm -hmm. what that motherly instinct is it hasn't kicked in yet i have more faith in you <laughs> than I do it myself, right? And so together we've we've figured that out. Um, now I will say, you know, one thing as far as priorities, there were opportunities for me when I was working, I've always loved local, but um, there were opportunities, and now I took this corporate job and it's, it's a new experience. But part of the reason I also liked local was because it didn't require me to travel as much as my counterparts in network mm. did. And um, that probably came with less money but I was okay with that because it was, I was like, I yeah. will work for you for like literally 24 hours, but please keep me in the same city so that I can. And, and when, when cell phones were like, you know, part of our norm, I could do that with my kids sitting next to me. That was a decision that I made, but what I wasn't doing, like I said before, with, I wasn't crying in the corner that I wasn't making more money because working on network because I made that choice. Right. You're making choices. You made choices. Right. And uh, there are times I think you'll agree with this that, you're not sure you're doing everything you should be doing that that you've made choices and it's like god is that is that falling apart is this okay don't you think that that women need to understand that that we don't always we aren't always at peace with the choices we've made that there are going to be doubts and times where you're just so tired and you're doing it all and you're not sure you're doing it well but have faith that you are yeah or just put it through that filter of what i mentioned the priorities right um if yeah, your activities yeah. mimic your priorities. It's the same way as goal setting at work. If you have goals and there's a weight to those goals, then your activities should mimic and your attention should mimic, which should run parallel to that. And that's the same thing. Once you've made a decision on what your priorities are, your activities in life should mimic that. And then there's a, a sense of congruency, right? In the way yeah, that you're operating. Yeah. And then there's no regrets. Yeah. Wonderful advice.
Terry, thanks for joining me today. I just, uh, this has been great and it's been great to get to know you and um, congratulations on a great career and everything you're doing for your community, Hispanic uh, Americans and uh, your job being such a role model. And I'm so glad that Emily Barr introduced us. So oh, thanks she, for joining me. I had today. a crush on Emily Barr, a girl crush. <laughs> so I was thrilled when she called me. I literally walked up to Emily Barr and said, I have a girl crush yeah. on you. I've heard so many great things. I want to be your friend. And yeah. she's just, and, and, you know, her and Jennifer Graves who's over in ABC um, Chicago, who also, you know, is part of that universe, just have been incredible supporters and, and friends. Yeah. 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 Most of my guests come from referrals and she referred you and it's like, you like her. So you, you trust her to say, Hey, Susan, did a great job interviewing me so uh talk to her and that's how it started so yeah thanks it's been great for sure well thank you for having me thank you for listening to this episode of leading she please check out many other leading she episodes which are wonderful we discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it follow leading she on instagram facebook and linkedin and visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.